Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Some agencies had to scramble last week to disconnect vulnerable software from their networks. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency says hackers have been able to bypass patches in the widely used Ivanti software. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday has the latest. Justin, briefly, what is the vulnerability and how does Avanti figure into all of this? Yeah, Avanti uh, makes these widely used VPN software products. So, of course, people can remotely work. And back in on January 10th, Avanti uh, came out and said that there are some pretty critical vulnerabilities in some of these VPN products that they put out. And they recommended organizations patch them immediately. Uh, on January 19th, CISA took the uh, rare step of issuing an emergency directive to agencies telling them you must patch these products if you use them ASAP. And at the time, CISA said about 15 agencies were using the affected software. Fast forward to last week and new information emerged that hackers have been able to essentially work around the patches that Avanti released and continue infiltrating uh, the VPN System. So CISA told agencies on Wednesday to disconnect those uh, Avanti products by Friday night. And that's where we're at today. Yeah. And so the VPN is crucial because everyone teleworking, which is lots of people, right. are connected through a VPN. So now what? So they're disconnected and they're safe, but they're also non-productive. Yeah, so you're actually seeing some chatter on the uh, Fed News Reddit, for instance, where folks are saying, "Hey, my VPN is down, and uh, we don't know exactly what we're doing for telework going forward." So agencies are grappling with that, and we'll continue following that issue. As far as CISA goes, they're gathering information today from the agencies that still use these Avanti products on the steps they've taken to disconnect and, and then, of course, go forward um, in order to bring the products back. Back online, CISA says agencies have to follow a series of steps, including exporting the configuration settings and completing a whole factory reset of the software and then eliminating or resetting passwords for any accounts. So they're really having to press the reset button on this thing before they start going forward. Was the flaw the result of a hack? Or was it something that was just misprogramming and they found the vulnerability? And regardless of the source, has any agency actually been affected? So these were zero-day vulnerabilities in their products. So it's not that Avanti was necessarily hacked like SolarWinds was, but this is just a zero-day in their code that was discovered. We, we don't have any information that any agencies have been hacked or experienced any sort of cyber incident because of these vulnerabilities, but we'll be asking about that. And, you know, CISA is not directly attributing this attack, but several cybersecurity firms, including Mandiant, has uh, identified that a quote-unquote China Nexus espionage threat actor has been one of the groups exploiting this zero day, among others. That's, you know, another big issue for CISA, of course, is this could be a nation state going after this product. Right. And there have been buzzes, you know, in the interwebs about the idea of China preparing the ability to disrupt the United States through critical infrastructure disruption. Is this connected with that, do they think? They don't know if they, these hacks are specifically connected with China's alleged hacking of critical infrastructure. But yeah, there has been a lot of discussion about that. Just last week at a House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party hearing, uh, several uh, leading uh, federal officials, including FBI Director Christopher Wray and CISA Director Jen Easterly, testified about how these Chinese uh, threat actor group called Vault Typhoon has 
hacked into U.S. critical infrastructure. They're targeting water treatment pl- treatment plants, the electrical grid, and other infrastructure, according to Ray. They're saying that chi- China's hackers are positioning on infrastructure to potentially shut it down or otherwise wreak havoc. Here's what Easterly said. This is truly an everything, everywhere, all at once scenario. And it's one where the Chinese government believes that it will likely crush American will for the U.S. to defend Taiwan in the event of a major conflict there. Well, that would be a serious miscalculation, we think, but maybe they do think that way. What is the nature of this Volt Typhoon? Great name, I must say. I wonder what it looks like in Chinese. What are their tactics? What are the techniques? One of the things that they are uh, doing reportedly is taking advantage of vulnerabilities in Internet routers used by critical infrastructure operators and a lot of other people to essentially hide within networks. And both the FBI and CISA have come out and said these small office, uh, home office routers, as they're called, are outdated in some cases, aren't built securely in many cases. And Easterly made the point that this is so critical because this is not necessarily a malware issue where you can easily detect it with a known signature. What these Chinese cyber actors are doing is essentially finding a vulnerability and then finding ways to live within a computer's operating system. So they're actually very, very hard to detect because they look like any other person who's operating on it, and they've elevated their ability to act like a system administrator. So you really can't tell that's a Chinese actor. That's essentially what they're doing on these routers so that they can build these large, essentially, botnets for command and control to allow them to have a launching pad on our critical infrastructure where they take advantage of yet another vulnerability. Nice, the devil within, you know, buried in there and probably beaconing out back to China saying, now's the time when the time comes. Can agencies do anything to respond to these types of hacks if they're already in place? Well, they already have. The Justice Department says that in December they conducted a court-authorized operation to disrupt a botnet of hundreds of these routers that were hijacked by the PRC state-sponsored hackers, and they were able to evict those hackers from those systems. CISA and the FBI have also recently issued an alert calling on the manufacturers of these routers to eliminate these defects and the web interfaces that are being taken advantage of also uh, adjust the default configurations to be more secure. And you're also seeing a lot of these agencies start to take bureaucratic moves to specifically focus on the Chinese cyber threat. The FBI has more people working on China than any other issue in its cyber division. The NSA, the National Security Agency, has a new position dedicated to China, as does CISA, which is kind of unusual for a civilian agency, but they they have a new position focused on it as well. And I guess a couple of carriers out of dry dock and deployed, that would help too, maybe. Yeah, I think you hear the officials talk about all elements of national power, but, you know, I think in this space, they're also talking a lot about responding, not just attributing and calling out. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, better to use electrons to do it than kinetic weapons, I suppose. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. 
Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. 
So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it? And building modules or or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user, as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions. And that leader then said, "Okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there taking notes on the meeting and said, go ahead and I want to hear from you. And I realized in hindsight I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision, and it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so... That was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people 
on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, Mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce, because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how how are things going, Um, because we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career. 
and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years, um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.